Hello, this is Al, and I'm just checking in with you on my weekend check-in podcast. How are you? Hope you've had a lovely week. Have you had a lovely week? I hope you've had a lovely week, and I hope you're having a lovely weekend. Yeah, this is me um, just uh, saying hello, as I tend to do of a Sunday. Am I shouting? I think I might be shouting a little bit. Settle down, Al. You don't need to shout at the person. Just, just, just talk like a human being. I don't want to be a human being. When I was little, somebody asked me whether I was a human being, and I didn't quite know what it meant, because I was too little to know the term. And I pondered it, and I knew it was kind of a trick question. And then I proudly said no. So I'm going to stand by that childhood decision. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a human being. I'm a human doing. I'm a human doing a podcast. Yeah, so I hope you're good. Uh, I'm just blathering now, aren't I, really? Um, no content today, everyone. I'm just going to blather around the question of of whether you're doing okay, whether you've had a nice week. Not really. I've got loads to tell you. Absolutely loads to tell you. I'm actually doing this podcast in my bare feet. You know, in my bare feet. What do you think about that? Um, they don't smell. I, I don't have smelly feet. A lot of people have smelly feet, don't they? I've... I've never been cursed with such a thing as smelly feet. Um, so uh, so thankful for small mercies. I've got my feet out at the moment, um, which I'm told is rude in company. Um, that's a, that's a, a parental belief, that, from my mum. Um, <laughs> the time before last, when I went, when I see them last night, the time before that, she was sat there with her feet out, for which she profusely <laughs> apologised. Um, because she said, and I was like, well, what are, you, what are you saying sorry for? It didn't compute with me at all. And uh, she said it was rude to have your feet out in front of company. Does anyone else have that belief? Um, what, what's your belief about having your feet out? Because I've been listening to a, a podcast, which I often listen to, called Freakonomics. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's hosted by a guy named uh, Stephen Dubner, if I've remembered his name right. He's written books on it, and he basically looks at economics from a different point of view. Now, I've got no idea what this had to do with economics, mind you, but it was quite a a fascinating um, left-field look at the whole situation, the whole scenario of shoes. Because what they were doing, they were challenging whether we should be shod what a good word that is, because they started talking about people who were in their bare feet, comparing them with people who were shod. So, yeah, we're mostly shod. Shod people wear shoes. And I thought, that's a great word. Uh, it's a word that you kind of only hear with horses. Um, but, yeah, shod. S-H-O-D. And what they found out by looking at this study is... The people who were... Well, first of all, shoes are quite a recent invention. We've we've been using minimal shoes for, like, thousands of years, apparently. But the kind of shoes we have now, which are all fancy and built up, etc., they're quite a a recent invention. And they were used initially to show social status, would you believe? And it's kind of caught on now. I think they're still used for social status, aren't they? I remember when I was... When I was a kid, you could not go to school in Dunlop Green Flash... You know, you, you had to have something, otherwise, you know, you were going to risk humiliation or even a smack. So I, th- I think they're still used in, in modern day for social status. And, and trainees, you know, sneakers, as they call them in America. <laughs> My headmaster, actually, headmaster, headmaster, um, although he spoke like that, so maybe I was I was channeling him. Um, he, he used to say sneakers. And he was the only Englishman I've ever heard use the term sneakers. You boy! You boy! What are you doing indoors wearing your sneakers? Um, (laughs) God, don't take me flashbacks to Mr. Arnold Craft. Mr. Arnold Craft used to... um, he, he He was a very clear conservative supporter who once admonished me for being late at school. I, I live quite away from my school and, um... Yeah, he admonished me because I arrived 10 minutes late despite a bus strike and I somehow managed to weave my way all the way through school, which should have been rewarded with a medal in terms of what I had to do. I was about 13 as well. Um, And instead, I was called to the headmaster. Um, And when I tried to explain that there was a, a, a bus strike on, how was I meant to get to school on time? 
He said he didn't care, and if necessary, I should solve the bus strike. Which I didn't attempt to do, you know. Why should I? You know, I thought it was a justified strike. <laughs> yeah, why am I talking about this clown? Um, what was I talking about? Oh, sneakers, that's why I got onto Mr. H.P. Arnold Kraft. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's probably long gone now. Sneakers, sneakers. Yes, yeah, so shoes were rarely worn as a sign of social status. The poor couldn't afford them. The wealthy could, and um, and then that's that's how it's kind of became popularised. Because obviously everyone wants to to not be the one with low social status, and so that's that's how they developed. And they were looking at the design of shoes compared to the way feet go, and they were basically saying that your feet are has been kind of designed through evolution to be this really intricate specialist device for standing and walking on and running on because apparently early humans used to just run constantly that's how we used to hunt we didn't have weapons or anything back in those days we used to just outrun an animal um obviously i wouldn't i'd, I'd outrun a carrot because i'm vegetarian <laughs> i think I, don't, I think they'll probably be easier to outrun <laughs> so uh, i'll stick to outrunning the carrots if you don't mind but back then back then before they knew of such things and um, they would outrun the animal um and so humans were built for like long distance running and so we've developed this really intricate um with tons and tons of bones in them device for standing on and then you know it's designed for a, a particular purpose and then we we go mess about with the feet um you know there's been foot binding in the past but we're still kind of foot binding our feet now is their argument when you look at the foot if you stand on a on a flat surface with bare feet you'll notice the the foot gets wider the more to the front that it goes so your toes kind of splay out but if you look at the standard shoe the toe space actually gets narrower and narrower. And by constricting your foot in that way, it has all sorts of, um, what's the word, kinesthetic, is it? Where, where, where your body changes the way it moves, basically. So you have all sorts of issues like that kind of crop up. And they, they've done studies with people who are shod, great word, and those who are not shod, great word. <laughs> and the people who don't wear shoes have much less um, issues with things like um, knees and hips and even things like osteoarthritis and stuff like that. So they were arguing um, against the use of certainly um, shoes that are kind of all built up. And they were saying, you know, there's loads of receptors in the soles of your feet um, for obvious reasons because people will be walking around on the bottoms of the feet and the bottom of your feet is picking up all sorts of signals which are lost now. And imagine if you kind of did that to your hands, your hands would just become atrophied. So I've decided that wherever possible, I'm going to be in my bare feet and uh, I'm seeing how that goes. So I've been doing it for a few days. It's quite nice, actually. Um, your feet do get a little bit, well, not your feet, you're not doing it. <laughs> my feet do get a little bit cold sometimes. and uh, But then I throw socks on. And it's only rarely I'll put my slippers on if I'm going to an environment where I might have spilled some water, you know, going near a tap or something like that. But it's quite nice. It's quite nice to have my feet out and experience different surfaces. And um, I've been looking at minimalistic shoes as well. There's all sorts of weird shoes. I might get myself a pair of, pair of weird shoes and then get on the bus with them. They look a bit odd. Um, <laughs> they basically look like a glove. So like the separate, I mean, first of all, it all splays out like your man from Atlantis, and um, <laughs> and the separate, the separate little toe holes for each of your toes. Um, so I might um, platy plus my way onto a bus in in some of them. Quite expensive though, but no more expensive than actual trainers. Um, but yeah, so I'm in my bare feet. They feel a little bit cold, um, but it's funny you you get used to the cold a little bit. Oh, look at the blue sky now. It's suddenly gone. Very blue sky. I tell you what, just before I started the podcast, I thought we were going to have thunder and lightning, and now it's gone. In the blink of an eye, that's England for you, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to England, where the weather rains and is sunny in the same hour. <sighs> I'm looking out the window as well, and I've got a tree. A sad moment. Um, my tree has died and fallen over. 
I used to have um, crazy housemates. I managed to fight them all off. I was the cock of the house. <laughs> I managed to fight them all off. And um, first of all, I had a, a brain surgeon. So, well, someone who was claiming to be a brain surgeon, why were they, why they were house sharing with me? God only knows. And also, she said she was a brain surgeon, but um, God, the way she used to... <laughs> <laughs> I'd hear her banging cupboards downstairs, you know, if I was upstairs reading or something, and she was starting to cook. God, she didn't have the light touch. I'd tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want her banging about inside of my skull. Um, so I never fully believed she was a brain surgeon. And then when she left, I got this um, crazy guy in that followed her who claimed he was a tree surgeon. Now, there's no way he's a tree surgeon because he, he cut some sort of deal with my landlord. Uh, whereby he did the garden for a bit and part of this had him strapped to this lovely tree with a chainsaw now of course i i don't know anything about this sort of thing but uh, pretty soon after nothing grew on the tree and it's been stood that way ever since and i woke up uh, a few days ago and i noticed when i looked out my bedroom window that the tree um which has been around for a while i'm just looking at it now it's it's got quite a thick trunk was kind of halfway, you know, it was like a 45 degree angle. And um day after it was on the on the lawn itself. So yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? You know, I do like trees and I used to like looking at that tree until he killed it. So um beware of living with people who are claiming to be surgeons because <laughs> they're probably not. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, so um Big news of the week was uh, we've got a female Doctor Who, everyone. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that caused some consternation, didn't it? The, the amount of debate online about a female Doctor Who. Um, She's a time lord, not a time lady. <laughs> so lots of people were very irate um, because Doctor Who no longer has a penis. Um, it never really featured strongly in the show, mind you, the, the Doctor's penis. Um, I don't know whether they did a video nasty version of it, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, Doctor Who's a, a woman. I, I used to watch Doctor Who as a kid, but I used to be terrified of Daleks. I used to actually have, I used to have a, um, a nightmare, recurring nightmare about Daleks, and um, I kind of stopped watching it. It was too scary for me. I've got such a sensitive disposition. Gremlins was scary to me, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, most people love Gremlins, but to me, Gremlins was a lovely film about a cuddly thing called Gizmo that got ruined. That's how I see Gremlins, you see. So, um, yeah, so I stopped watching Doctor Who because it was too scary. But um, that that seemed to be the biggest news. What's your take on Doctor Who? My mate Al um, had probably the best the best defence for keeping Doctor Who male came from my mate Al, because what he said is that Doctor Who was a, a very unique kind of male hero uh, in fiction. So they're normally like Rambo, aren't they? Or they're normally running around, kind of blowing things up and getting their chests out and being all muscle-bound and, and killing things and that sort of stuff. Whereas Doctor Who would refuse to kind of... Well, I don't think Doctor Who, according to Al, because I don't watch it, um, doesn't really kill anything, will disarm him his own allies to prevent that from happening. And it's a very kind of different view of malehood, if you like, than most heroes. So his defence of keeping Doctor Who male is that it would be more beneficial um, to lose another archetypally male hero figure from fiction and flip that in terms of like a female James Bond or whatever, um, because it's one of the few kind of um, non-stereotypically male hero figures out there, and it's been lost to um, self-identified geeky folk like him. So what's your view of the whole Doctor Who thing? I have to confess, I, I don't really care that much, um, because <laughs> because I don't watch it. Um, <laughs> I was having a discussion with my mate Julie, and... Um, <laughs> Amongst many, because we were talking about this, and amongst many things that came out, I did actually say, you know, one of the things is, surely surely she's nicer to look at than Peter Capaldi. And she did say, yeah, but it's not the most feminist argument I've ever heard, Al. So, um, point taken, point taken. Um, 
what else is yeah I've do you know once I finish this podcast I've got a horrible job so I'm I'm really disappointed by the blue sky I saw the thunder um the promising thunder and thought great a horrible gloomy day is exactly what I need because I've got to fill in tax forms I've got to go through my accounts oh it's the most soul draining job I could I could imagine you know, and I have to do this every year. And I always say to myself, just do it every Friday, Al. You know, do it as you go and it'll be easy. But I never do. Because once you've been through 12 months of it, you know, it finishes in April, the tax year. And it's what, it's it's July now. So once I've waded through 12 months to have to do another 33% to get to the other four months, no chance, you know, I, I, I just don't do it. So this is my day of penance where I have to go through and um, and put in my tax returns. <coughs> oh, pretending to snore makes you cough. Just found that out. I've actually got a new improv company, um, so that's some good news. Um, I did some. I did an audition during the week, and. Um, I'm going to be doing an improv company that specialises in doing full-length plays. A lot of improv companies just do like short form, as they call it, which is like short three or four minute comedy sketches, basically, which are totally improvised without a script. Well, I'm going to be doing a full play, which is going to last for 60 minutes. Um, and <clears throat> I audition some folk, and I believe I'm just waiting for some last-minute confirmations. Um I'm waiting for last-minute confirmations. If the people responsible could get in touch with control, we can move on and clarify the situation. But I think I've got six. I think I've got six people, including me, which I think is going to be ideal for this kind of troupe because you don't want to play with like twenty characters. Everyone are getting each other's way. So I'm hoping that we've got six. Um, I'm also very pleased that um, you know three are men and three are women. Because sometimes when you look at the improv world, it seems to be very male-heavy. Um, so in in the spirit of a week where Doctor Who has gone female, um, it's good that we've got three of each there in the six. Um, so I'm going to be working on that very soon, just building the structure together so that we've got a nice framework to, to kind of improvise in and still be able to tell you a really fun story as well, rather than getting all waffly and weird. So that's a that's a big thing, isn't it? Um, that'll be starting soon. Now I've got my company together. As I say, I just need I just need uh, one person in particular to confirm that they're on board, and that'll be that'll be good. I've also been um, I did the show Modern Myths with Sarah Lowe's, and that went very well over two nights. It was absolutely packed out the first night, and it was pretty busy the second night as well. And um, people have been asking us, you know, whether we'll do another one. So I've got a semi-announcement. We're actually thinking of doing something just before Christmas, you know, of a similar format. You know, something dramatic and then some uh, music by me that's going to kind of fit into it. So thank you for coming along to that. It was really lovely to see uh, so many familiar, lovely faces. Thanks for that. Um, what else have I been... Oh, my weight. Shall, shall I give you a weight update? Do you know what? I think I've got Theresa May <laughs> scales because no matter when I get on the scales, it's changed its mind. And um, I, I did it today and I got about nine different readings. So my scales, which as you remember, started off by, by sabotaging me, are already doing my head in. Um, but it recorded that I was 208.2. That's the figure I'm settling on that it said. It also said I was 208. 207 it also said i was 210 so uh, pick the bones out of that if you want but i'm gonna settle on a you know i'm not too fussed about this actually i know i'm going in the right direction um it's just a way of keeping me relatively on track so that's a, a loss of 0.4 which is a little bit lower than i would have expected but then i'm putting no faith in the scales anyway so um yeah the trajectory is pretty easy one tweak in my diet stuff is i I went shopping on Friday and I decided not to buy sneakers because I was... Sneakers? <laughs> Arnold Kraft is coming back again. Go away. What are you doing, boy? Buying sneakers. Um, Snickers. Snickers. You know, they used to be called Marathon Chocolate and Peanuts. And I decided that they were getting in the way because chocolate gives me a craving. And um, I thought that was getting a little bit in the way of me. So I thought, no, I'm going to stick to my Belvita breakfast biscuits, which are all designed just to keep me full. 
Um, and that, that that works a little bit easier. Did have a snicker at my mum and dad's last night, though. You can have you can have a little treat every now and again. Um, so I'm still finding it easy. I'm three weeks in. And also Mark as well. Let's find Mark's feet. Because as you know, he sends me a photograph of his feet. Um, Mark is my friend who is also doing um, this weight loss challenge. By the end of it, we're both going to be 13 stone. Um, let's have a little look. Mark Woods. I'm just clicking on the phone. Ah, look at this. He is down to 16 stone 2. 16 stone 2. He was 16 stone 4.5. So Mark is going like a demon. Is anybody else doing this, by the way? Because you can join in with me and Mark. All you have to do is send your, your, your weight in and um, and we'll, we'll report it. We'll report it. There's only me here. See how, I, you know, as a kid, I invented imaginary friends. I might do it again. I might do it again. I need some imaginary friends. Yeah, I had an imaginary, <laughs> I had an imaginary friend called Charlie. Charlie went with me everywhere, and um, you know, I I would go to nursery. I remember walking along Lawrence Road up to the nursery, and uh, I'd be holding my mum's hand. There'd be other mothers and kids there, and I don't remember who they were, and I'd be kind of twisting round and uh, yelling behind me, "Come on, Charlie! Charlie, hurry up!" <laughs> And everyone would be looking around behind me. And of course, there was nobody there. I, I, Charlie was just for me. And uh, yeah, why don't we have imaginary friends as, as 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 older people? That'd be good, wouldn't it? I might I might bring Charlie back. I don't know where he is because my mother managed to um, unhook him from her mind. What kind of witchcraft is that, by the way? Oi, mother, if you're listening. <laughs> where's Charlie? Where's, where's Charlie? And I remember the last thing was that she persuaded... She persuaded me to let go of Charlie uh, and not to have this imaginary friend. And I remember exactly what she said. She said, listen, Alan, she said, I think you're getting a bit old for Charlie now. She said, you're 24. <laughs> no, I was, a, I was a little boy. I was a child. Um, and my uncle Billy was um, going to Saudi Arabia or some such place to work. Um, and... What she persuaded me was that he would be going out there on his own, so he needed Charlie more than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's there's some odd messages in there, by the way, um, as a trainee psychotherapist. <laughs> yeah, so he's got Charlie. I don't know what he's done with him. Uh, I don't know what happened to Charlie, what he got up to out there in the Middle East. Um, I tell you what, I hope all his trouble isn't down to Charlie. I hope he, I hope he wasn't... Uh, God, I hope he's not working for Tony Blair. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Charlie, come back. Uh, I think I think we should have you as. Uh, I think we should have imaginary friends again. Why am I talking about? Why am I talking about imaginary friends? I don't know now. Oh yeah, because I said I said the royal way. I said the royal way. Yes, we are Alan Perry. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, I I I've got a very big palace in the country. So that's my weight. It's going in the right direction. I'm not exactly sure um, what the exactness of all that is, but who cares? Um, I've been very cultural again. Um, I'm a real culture vulture lately. Um, so I had a day. I had a day at the theatre. Yes, I went to the theatre yesterday, and I went to see my very good friend Sarah Ma. And um, Sarah is performing, or was performing, in um, a show called Salford Bells. And it was about working class people, you know. It was about people who were working class. Very enjoyable to look at them. <laughs> yeah, so I went to the theatre. <laughs> and it was a comedy, uh, which is always good. Um, a very, uh, very good joke um, <laughs> about, about flowers. Um, Sarah's... Sarah was basically being um, pursued by an old flame and he, he comes after about 20 years to her with a, a bunch of flowers and uh, she, <laughs> she says to him, what do you think I'm going to open my legs for those? And he says, open your legs if you've not got a vase. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, so that was fun and, and Sarah was kind of the lead character in that and she did extremely well. So that was that was very pleasant and to have a chat with her afterwards as well. 
And I also went to a very special event on Friday night. My mate Claire, who runs the Big Heart Studio on Hanover Street, she's been doing a series of uh, musical concerts, soirees. Um, her studio is on the sixth floor and overlooks Liverpool. Lovely view. And I played it last month. Um, and then the folk legend, Julie Felix, played it um, either last week or the week before. And on Friday was the soprano Rachel Russell, um, who's based in Liverpool as well, or from Liverpool. Um, and she did a whole thing of like, what I would, a Philistine like me would call it classical stuff, you know, um, and some show tunes as well. But she's a soprano. And in that intimate environment, it was very arresting, let me tell you. You know, some of those high notes that she would hit um, to actually be in the same room rather than just watch it on the telly um, was was really stunning, actually. So that was a, a, a great, great show overlooking um, the sunset of Liverpool. It was raining, actually. It was raining, pouring down it was, but that didn't stop us. And that was a lovely night surrounded by lovely, lovely people being serenaded. And then this guy called Sid came up in the interval and uh, started the second half with his ukulele. And uh, you know that I love the ukulele. There's nothing I like better than watching a fella playing away with his ukulele. <laughs> you should have seen the technique. <laughs> I, I did hint to him during the interval because uh, I got wind that he was playing. I did I did tell him that George Formby was my hero. And I was hoping for a bit of George, actually. But he, he, he didn't do George. He did some songs of his own, but they were wonderful. And he had this um, funny little... He had a great strumming technique. I mean, I play ukulele as well, um, but not to any great fashion. And my strumming technique isn't isn't particularly advanced. But his was. His was amazing. Um, he had this kind of circular technique as well, which was a lot of fun to watch. So that was a lovely, lovely night as well. So, yeah, a, a lovely cultural week. Oh dear! I got my business cards. Oh, I feel as I'm boring you now. I'm just I'm just talking about the the um, I'm just talking about the bits of my life now, aren't I? You know, getting my business cards. What do you care that I got my business cards? Really, the postman actually lives in my street, which is weird because when he knocked, <laughs> when he do you know I I'd, I'd I'd got wind. I'd, I hadn't got wind. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd got news through from uh, the, the business card company. I won't advertise them. And they emailed me and said, right, they'll be coming tomorrow. So you hang around, don't you? Because you think you're going to get the knock on the door. But I really wanted a shower. So you can guess what happened. Strips off, gets in the shower. Next minute. <laughs> and there's nothing I could do, you know. So that was that, basically. I missed my business cards. And then I forgot that the postman actually lives in my street. My postman lives in my street. How about that for an easy round? So he, he knocked around about nine o'clock and gave me them, which was nice, wasn't it? So I've got my business cards for... Because when I'm not playing the um, the guitar, I'm, uh, I do like personal development training and personal development coaching and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I've got business cards for that. Um, so that's good. Uh, I'm not sure why you would care about it. I don't know why I'm telling you it. But, um, yeah, it just popped into my head. My business cards arrived. It's a bit of a milestone, isn't it? Getting your business cards. I don't know. Who cares? I'll be in the studio next week, all things being well. Of course, I'm going to hospital tomorrow. Um, yeah. I've got to swallow a camera because my voice isn't quite working right. And I've ensured as well that I've got no no gigs until later on in August, just in case they tell me to rest my voice. So it could be a whole host of things, they say, why I'm, I'm having this kind of difficulty. I don't think you'd have noticed if you'd, if you'd seen me um, perform. It's something that I'm noticing myself. So they've kind of rushed me in because there's a tiny, 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 tiny chance that they need to rule out that it might be something nasty. But I don't think... I don't think it is. It's not worrying me, but they, it's kind of like they put me through on a rapid cancer check thing because I ticked a couple of boxes. Um, but I think it's some sort of vocal injury or it might be some kind of acid thing like a reflux or whatever. But tomorrow at three o'clock, I will be um, swallowing a camera. And uh, I don't know if they'll YouTube it. I wonder if they could YouTube it. I don't think they could, could they? Um, so I'll be seeing what's going on there. 
I've had it done before. You, they kind of, they, you don't really swallow it. They stick it up your nose and down, <clears throat> which feels a weird feeling. It feels like that weird feeling, don't you? You're about six, and and you, you learn to pick your nose, <laughs> and you and you got a stubborn one that was right far back. <laughs> And, and you managed to get it out anyway, but it kind of like pinged the back of your eyeball. <laughs> well, it, it feels a bit like that as it goes in, that kind of horrible ear, sort of uh, twingy thing as it goes down the back of your nose. So I'll be I'll be having that down. Then you make you kind of go, and do all sorts of things. And as you're moving your vocal cords, they're looking at them and seeing what's going on. So hopefully it's it's something simple and fixable which is what i always wish for whenever i've got a complaint that needs to go to the doctors i always cross my fingers that it's going to be something something um something straightforward and fixable not too nasty uh yeah so i'll be doing that tomorrow so that might impact my ability to go into the studio so i'm hoping to go and go into the studio on tuesday and finish off a song that I've been working on but I haven't put the vocals down or the guitar so I wanted to finish that next week and then release it to uh, my 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 members of my VIP subscribers you can find out how to be one of them at parrysongs.co.uk by the way um yes I'm hoping to do that but we'll just have to see what the doc said because if they see an injury and say rest up for a few weeks then obviously I shall have to wait and do two next month. That's the way I'd have to play it. So that's going to be interesting. I'll let you know next week what they say. Hopefully, it's not it's not the thing that they're kind of ruling out. But I don't think it is. I'm not I'm not particularly worried. One of the things I have been looking at um, this week has been um, the issue of male suicide. You know, the singer of Linkin Park um, very sadly um, committed suicide apparently this week, and so. Lots of people have been talking about it and thinking about it. And it's something that exercises my mind as someone who's into the personal development stuff. And the thing that the thing that's kind of interesting to me is how it impacts men to such a huge degree. This is now the biggest killer of young men, you know, below the age of 35. Nothing kills more men than suicide. And it's a it's a real shocker, isn't it? And so I've been I've been looking into this because I suppose I was irked, um, if I'm honest, um, because whenever whenever a high profile man commits suicide, and so this issue was brought to the fore again, um, it's always something to do with. It always feels like men almost get the blame for it, like we don't deal with our feelings well enough, or we we choose not to share our feelings. Um, and that's the problem, and you know, there's there's these things, and I always think when when people are suffering emotional distress, even though building up one's resilience is really really useful, and I would never ever want to kind of limit our own power in any situation because we've always got a whole host of power that we can tap into. It also kind of irks me when wider society is just not looked at, you know, if. You see the government doing all this kind of mental health first aid thing as though they're doing something great. And at the same time, they're, they're cutting social support structures. So people are living hand to mouth, having to go and, and beg for food at charity food banks. Now, you can't do both of those. You can't run a society where people are desperate to feed their children and then put mental health first aid sticking plasters on them and thinking that you're doing something for mental health. You're not. Because the wider social situation has a huge importance. And uh, it's neither one nor the other, you see. I think we can build up some sort of resilience. We can we can try and aim to look after ourselves as well as possible. But let's not let society off the hook. This isn't just about men being unskilled at handling um, emotional distress or, or having poor skill sets. That lets... That lets a big chunk of the problem, I think, off the hook. And uh, I wanted to look at those kind of things rather than just saying, you know... I mean, another one was a, a leading feminist author said, oh, this guy is, the, is another victim of the patriarchy. And I know what they mean by the patriarchy. I'm getting a better idea anyway. You know, this kind of... Um, well, I don't fully know, actually. I'm trying to work out what people actually mean by that. Um 
But nonetheless, even that feels like you're hoist by your own petard. You men killing yourself because of this this patriarchy thing that benefits you. But I, I look at society, you know, and I think men are in, in pain. And it's not just because we're the strong, silent type. Um, I think there's a lot of pain for men in this society. Now, I have to start off here um, by saying that this does not at all challenge the pain that women are in in our society. I think I think one of the kind of well, there's a couple of things, isn't there? First of all, there are there are people who who talk in such a way that they think that um, the the empowerment of women has been a bad thing, and I do not think that at all. You know, I, I absolutely don't. I think it's been I think it's been a fantastic thing, and and more needs to happen. So I need to put that in there because it feels sometimes as though I can't talk about male pain without everyone's hackles going up. I'm thinking I'm some sort of Trump supporter or whatever. But I I, I just want to talk about about how men suffer in this society because four out of five suicides are male, and that speaks to me of a huge amount of pain. What that says to me is that the way our society is set up at the moment, it is just too painful for men to stay within this within their lives, you know. And I, I think of the situation, imagine if four, four out of five suicides were female, we would probably take the narrative and it would be a very persuasive one. I'm sure I would go along with it, um, which said that this society is too misogynistic, that women can't handle sticking around in it well we have a similar problem but we obviously have some sort of societal issue where where the the way that we set it up it's too painful for men to stick around inside it and so i've been reading up a lot on this and there's a lot of other statistics which which kind of demonstrate the amount of pain that men are in in our society and as I say that doesn't discount the pain that women are in I'm not having a pissing competition here where I'm saying we've got it worse than you or you've got it worse than us or any of that I think that's really unhelpful you know I, I remember um when I was training to be a psychotherapist and we did this we did this session where we had to receive therapy from our trainer ourselves and I was talking about some of my pain but it seemed to cloud into insignificance to me when I reflected about someone who'd gone earlier and shared their pain um, and their trauma, which was far more traumatic than mine. And um, Bob, the, the therapist, the trainer, said to me, you know, it doesn't matter um, that the other person is having six glasses of poison. Your one glass of poison is still going to kill you. And I've took that to heart ever since. And uh, so I'm not trying to have a, a competition. I'm not even trying to say men have got it worse than women or women have got it worse than men. I just don't care. I think that's really unhelpful. If you've got pain, I want to hear it, whether you're male, female, non-binary, transgender, whatever. If you're a human being in pain, I want to hear it. And if there's anything we can do to eradicate the sources of that pain, then I want to be part of the movement that helps do that. So I hope that's clear before I start talking about this. But it's clear to me that there's a lot of signs, not just suicide, that men in our society suffer huge, huge pain. So I'm going to just talk you through some of it. Um, let's see, I've got some stats here. Yeah, this is from the Men's Health Forum. A lot of these stats are quoted from. 73% of adults who go missing are men. 87% of uh, people who are sleeping rough, who are homeless, are men. 95% um, of the prison population are men. 72% um, of that male prisoner population suffer from two or more mental disorders. So you have to wonder what they're really doing in a prison in the first place. Um, in terms of substance abuse, I was really keen to see what these figures are because suicide is like an exit hatch, isn't it? It's like it's a perceived escape from the pain of the world. And I think substance abuse operates in a very similar way when someone is so in pain um, that they kind of self-medicate themselves out of their here and now. So things like alcohol and, and narcotics abuse, for instance, let's say... Um, Men are nearly three times more likely than women to become dependent on alcohol. Um, they're also three times as likely to report frequent drug use. So all these kind of things are like indicators of, of pain for me. Um, 
let's see, four in five suicides and the biggest cause of death for men under 35, um, which is is really kind of shocking, isn't it? So I've, I've been looking at that. There's a, there's a study as well by a guy named, um, I don't actually know whether it is a guy, actually. There's me being sexist. I'm sure it was. I'm sure I'm saying that because I've read the full name. But Dr. Maris did a study on this. And here's the interesting thing, you see. When, when we're looking at kind of oppression in societies, you would think, wouldn't you, that those people who are traditionally most oppressed, um, like people who are black, for instance, if you think of the history of Western societies, people who are female, you'd think that they would have higher suicide rates. And what Dr. Maris is... Um, oh, I've just robbed my pen. Did you hear that? I'm going to pick it up again. I'm going to tick. Oh. I'm of an age now where I make a noise when I bend down. Yeah, but the, their study, uh, the Dr. Maris study, showed that the ratio of... If you, if you compare a white male versus a black female a white a white male is 10 times more likely to commit suicide than a black female which i thought was fascinating i'm not pretending to have any answers here or to make any implications from it but you've got a white male as opposed to a black female i wouldn't have thought that those were the figures but the white man is 10 times more likely to off himself than a black woman and when you go to you know if you break that down in age group if you go to the kind of worst age group that actually rises to being 18 times more likely which is a stunning statistic the other thing that's kind of interesting though is that apparently the same study made the point that these kind of gender ratios are not universal so if you go internationally, they don't kind of persist internationally. So you can go to different parts of the world and different countries of the world where those gender differences don't exist, which suggests, doesn't it, that there is something social and cultural going on, um, which we can maybe address. Now, the thing about that is um, I then looked at another study because I was like, okay, so which of the countries... Um, what accounts for the gender difference then? Has anyone done a study of the various countries where the gender differences are lower? And um, there's somebody called Rudman who did a study for the World Health Organization. And they identified four different um, significant factors in how a society is organized. You know, their cultural attitudes. Um, and the three of them are power distance. That was the first one. I'll explain what these mean in a sec. The second one was uncertainty avoidance. And the third one was what they call masculinity as opposed to femininity. I have to say, I thought their definitions were a bit weird and dodgy, but I'll come to that basically in a moment. And the final one is individualism. Now, these are the things that actually have some sort of impact on suicide. The interesting thing is the first three things had a negative correlation. In other words, suicides were less likely where these were high. So power distance basically means you've got a hierarchy, but you know your place and you're not trying to challenge it. Um, the second one is uncertainty avoidance. Also suggests some sort of rigid belief system. You know, so your society is set up so that uncertainty is avoided. I suppose something like um, a very strongly social democratic society like a a Denmark maybe. I mean, I've not looked at Denmark, so I'm just trying to pluck up an example so you can understand what we're talking about. It might even be more authoritarian than that, but where there's not a lot of uncertainty within that society, that reduces suicide a bit as well. And this one I thought was odd because it said masculinity. Now, I'll get you the definition. Uh, where's my definition gone? Do-do-do. Yeah, masculinity versus femininity. So the masculinity side of this dimension represents a preference in society for things like achievements, heroism, assertiveness, material rewards for success. You know, so a society is more competitive and it's opposite, it's opposite, which is femininity. I don't know why they, they decide one is masculine and one is feminine. Maybe there's a reason. But femininity stands for a preference for cooperation, uh, modesty, caring for the weak and quality of life. It's weird as a man reading that, by the way, because that describes my preferences um so i don't know why that's 
that's thought of as masculine versus feminine. But anyway, it is, according to this definition at least. Um, and, and that had a negative correlation as well. So a more masculine... Um, a more masculine society had a had a, a, a negative correlation on suicide as well, if I'm reading those figures right. But the thing which actually... Um, I mean, they're all if, ifs and buts and stuff. But the thing that I'm, I'm getting to is individualism. Because that was the fourth thing. Individualism kills men in greater numbers. So what do I mean by individualism? Because it, it, this really gets to the heart of, of some of the thing that I was instinctively thinking, you see. that You have to look at society. You have to look at how it's organised. Now, according to this study for the World Health Organisation, individualism, individualism is the big thing that ensures that men are killed in greater numbers by suicide. So let's look at what this means. Individualism as opposed to collectivism. So it says here, um, individualism can be defined, this is the definition um, as this study used it, can be defined as a preference for a loosely knit social framework where individuals are expected to take care of only themselves and their immediate families. Its opposite, collectivism, represents a preference for a tightly knit framework in society in which individuals can expect their relatives or members of a particular in-group to look after them in exchange for unquestioning loyalty. So a society's position on this dimension is reflected in whether people's self-image is defined in terms of I or we. So a society's position on this dimension is reflected on whether people see themselves as I, the individual, or we, the collective. Now, that, that actually chimes in with other studies I've read that say that societies that think in, in we terms are much happier. Um, I think there was even one society that didn't have a word for I, uh, I remember reading about, but I can't quite pluck it out of my brain at the moment. But we live in individualist societies here, don't we, in, uh, you know, in the Western world. And it's unsurprising then that, I mean, this is, this is what they found. If you live in individualistic societies, men are going to die from suicide in greater numbers. And that's the that's kind of the big thing. So we can talk about, you know, men need to kind of open up and men need to handle their feelings better and, and men need to break down this patriarchy that they're otherwise in, otherwise benefiting from. All this stuff that lays even more stuff on, on men's shoulders. In actual fact, the thing which I can find which more greatly decides which more greatly kills, let's, let's, let's put it in its, its blunt terms, the thing which most closely um, correlates to killing more men through suicide is an individualist culture within our society. Now, our society here in the UK has had an individualist culture for as long as I remember. You know, Thatcher was elected in 79 and really pushed things in that direction, and it's never gone back. And in fact, where we've had collectivised pockets you know, like mining communities and stuff like that, they've been broken down as well. And we live in cities now, don't we, where it's very hard to build community. You know, it just is. You know, all the, all the old things which would build community have, have gone. You know, people working in the, the factories together and, um, you know, big workplaces. And, um, you know, not, not that I'm a religious person, but church is less important. And community, and also the, the, the kind of geographic mobility of the, of widespread use of the car you know everyone just goes off in all different places and we we have to meet by appointment don't we um so all of that really is is something that instinctively feels right to me to and and of course the study is there in black and white um it was a study if you wanted to read up on it by the way it's called um questions of culture age and gender in the epidemiology of suicide and it was done by someone called Floyd Webster Rudman, amongst others. Um, and that was apparently done by for the World Health Organization. But you can find it in the Scandinavian Journal of Psychology. So if you wanted to go and look for that, that's, that's where you can find it. But it rings true for me as well, because the Samaritans had a report. And what they... What they talked about was... Um, oh, no, I'm still on Rudman, actually. Rudman, I'll come to the Samaritans in a sec. Um, yeah, I think I think this is still Rudman. Is it? 
or is it some other thing? I've, I've made notes here, so this might be from a different report, but, but you know, give me some trust on it, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Social isolation is a big killer, which kind of ties in, I think, to the whole individualism thing. Um, social isolation is a big killer. Um, they did a study that looked at the amount of close friendships that people had um, who committed suicide compared to people who had natural deaths. And those people who have who commit suicide had half the number of close friends as those who just had an ordinary natural death. So that's obviously a big factor as well, the social isolation. And I think that's hard as well, because if you live in an individualist society, um, I, I think... I think your role then is to be the person who looks after. And also, most of your time is spent not in social relations, but in capitalist social relations where you're thrown together. You're, you're, the people who you spend most time with are chosen by an employer for their purposes, not yours. Whereas I think of friends of mine who've managed to pull off self-employment and managed to spend a lot of time with their kids and their families. Their social relations are one that, ones that they've chosen or their wider social relations as well, have come as a knock-on effect of those social relations. So, for instance, they know each other because they go to the same places with their kids and all that sort of stuff, and they, they choose friendships based upon their people that they meet in those kind of more human social relations. Whereas, when you bear the burden of work as... I don't know whether it's still the case now, but certainly, I think, in terms of male identity, that's something that... Men are meant to be the, you know, men Men have this kind of sense, and it's given to them, isn't it, that they have to be the kind of, they have to be the provider and all that sort of stuff. I, I don't think there's a lot of uh, space, really, for people to build very strong social relations because all of their social relations exist actually within this capitalist social relations where they're only with these people because they've been chosen by the boss and if they don't like the people, the only option they have is to choose a different job and to be with another bunch of people who've been uh, given to them by another boss, again, for that boss's purposes. And I think it must be very, very difficult. And I think also as well, also as well when, when men do suffer relationship breakup, um, they often lose a lot more than just the relationship. Um, you know, they, they, they lose the house, they... They often lose contact with their own children. They they ov obviously lose contact with their former partner. And I think that's a huge kind of... Um, it's a huge problem, isn't it, in terms of um, this social isolation. Um, what else was going to say on this? Yeah, the other thing which also kind of um, buttresses my instinct, that you can't just point the finger at men and say, well, listen, fella, you need to learn to handle your feelings better. Although that might well be part of the equation. The other thing that makes me look at um, my instinct is to look at society and say, how is our society wrong? How is our society make ensuring that men are killing each other in such epidemic numbers? Well, if you look at it, society does have a role to play here as well because the Samaritans did a report and what that showed is that the suicide rate was 10 times higher for men of lower socioeconomic status than affluent men. Now, you could argue, for instance, that affluent men maybe know how to handle their feelings, have stepped outside macho culture, have stepped outside the patriarchy or whatever it is that's being attributed to male suicide. But I'd say that's a load of old rubbish. What's really happening here is that they have, you know, there's something going on in society, isn't there, which means that um, they are better insulated from some of this. You know, whether that's because they have more autonomy or whatever it happens to be, they, they're able to buy in support um, or I don't know what it is. You know, I'm, I'm clutching at things. But it's very clear to me that men are in pain. Society is a big cause of the pain. The study on individualism shows that by having an individualist society where it's very doggy dog and you're expected just to look after your own and no one's going to be there to look after you, um, when bad things happen, you're knackered. And when you're knackered, you're socially isolated. And often you're knackered because you're poor. And when you're socially isolated, you're much more likely to kill yourself. So I think we need to go beyond basically just pointing the finger at men and having campaigns to talk about how men can handle their emotions better 
As I say, I'm sure all that's part of the equation. I'm sure resilience is part of the equation. I'm sure trying to ensure that anybody who is feeling um, shitty is able to kind of access the power that everybody has in any moment, no matter how small the power is, and, and, and step into a place of empowerment. All that, I do not question the importance of. But come on, let's not get the way we organise our society off the hook here because there's something major going on here. And the big study that we do have is the Rudman study for the World Health Organisation and that puts it down. The thing that kills men isn't how we're handling our feelings. It's in, it's it's having a society that's run on an individualist ethos rather than a collective one. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's kind of my input. I'd really be interested. I'm so interested in this topic. I'm interested in this uh, kind of broad field anyway. But I'm interested in this twofold. I think I think men in this society are suffering such huge amounts of pain, which are are being um, which are being manifested through kind of drug use, um, homelessness, um, you know, um, alcohol dependency, and ultimately suicide social isolation, all that sort of stuff. Something is going wrong, and I'd like to investigate that a little bit more. And secondly, um, I'm, I'm interested anyway in this kind of field because I think whenever people are having emotional distress, and moving away from men now, whenever people are having emotional distress, there's something internal going on with us in terms of how we handle that and in terms of how that interacts with our own childhood belief systems. But there's also something external going on as well, the way our society is actually organised, what support systems are out there, what messages we give as a society to people. Um, and I think that needs to be looked at too. I mean, one of the things that, that I think is in psychotherapy, there's a thing where there's an injunction that we pick up from childhood, which is a very, very common one, which is basically don't live, you know, don't exist, don't be, don't be around. Um, and a lot of us have this. If anyone's ever kind of had any sort of suicidal fantasy, then it's likely that you are carrying this injunction too. And it's picked up in childhood. But I also think with men in particular, a don't live injunction um, that puts their very life at low worth is in existence, certainly in our society. So, for instance, men are expected to go to war. Men get the white feather if they refuse to join up for war, like happened in World War One. You know, you've got this historic thing where the way you prove to yourself that you're a man is by laying down your life. You know, you get the Victoria Cross for gallantry for laying down your life. And that there's, there's quotes around, no finer thing has he done than to lay down his life for his friends and all this sort of stuff attaches um, a huge importance to the for men to be willing to give up their life um, in this society. Um, even things like, you know, if you're in a disaster situation, women and children go first. Well, I can kind of understand the children one. Um, but if everyone's going to die, if the men are not more... I can understand it too, if men would be more equipped to survive... Um, due to various physical stuff or whatever, then you might take that decision. But if anyone without a lifeboat is going to die, why why is that done on gender grounds? Well, it's done on gender grounds because in our society, I think, there is this message that the way to prove your gallantry and, and, and masculinity is to be willing to die. Look at popular culture. All of the people that are admired in popular culture in terms of our movies, all our heroes are running round, our male heroes, that is, in situations with which repeatedly risk their own life, you know, if if they were in, if they, if they were a friend of yours, then you would hope that they got therapy to try and to try and fix that situation, to try and stop themselves from putting themselves in a situation where they were going to endanger their own life. They've normally got hunks of meat um, shot or cut out of them, so they're normally bleeding and bandaged up. And, you know, popular culture passes on this message as well. I understand that there's loads of things in which um, the worth of women is completely devalued. But I think the worth of male life is actually going back to this psychotherapeutic concept of don't live, which we often pick up in childhood. I think our society continues to repeatedly give that message to men. And it's a no surprise to me, really, that men uh, in such numbers act 
upon it. So I, I would like to explore this particular topic. I've spoken about it for quite a while, actually. Um, so I'm, I think I'll close with this now. Um, yeah, well, can you can you send me some stuff? Can you send me your thoughts on this? Because I think it's an important topic. I'd like to I'd like to hear what you think. I don't I don't care what gender you are. Actually, I'd like your insights. Um, I'm on al at parisongs.co.uk um, and write to me there or you can send me a comment on the blog or about anything else. You know, is there anything you want me to talk about? Is there anything, um, you know, any questions you want to ask me? I'd love questions because it's one less thing for me to think about. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so I think that's me done for this week. A little bit heavy this Sunday maybe because we've spoken about a heavy topic at the end there. Um, but hopefully it's worthwhile, and I think it's something that's, that needs talking about. Um, I promise you they won't always be this heavy. We'll get back to having a, a giggle and, and doing some light stuff as well. But I think it's important to talk about this, and I think it's important for me being a bloke as well, and for me being one of those blokes who's on the left and who completely values um, the, the movement um, that women have made and the empowerment that women have gained and need to gain more of. To For me to talk about it from that perspective, I think, is important. So that's all from me. I'm going to leave you with uh, Song of the Week. I don't know what it is yet because I always use a little random number generator to give you something special. And I'll see you next Sunday, um, unless I hear from you in the meantime. If you want to kind of recommend this or subscribe to this podcast, you can do, you know, you can do this on Apple Podcasts or you can do this on Stitcher or wherever you hear your podcast. Um, Do subscribe and keep in touch. And until Sunday, next Sunday, I haven't told you the date here. I like next Sunday is what? Next Sunday is the 30th of July. Wow. The end of July is beckoning. So I'll see you then. And until then, I hope you enjoy this week's Song of the Week. Tatty, bye! The only time the future starts is now The only time it starts is now And all the things you want to do All the things you want to do Do them now Play me a picture Write me a play Take me a photograph Of the things you did today For when tomorrow just yesterday There's no point in morning history No point in morning history Cause all the things you want to try All the things you want to try you want to see
to see them now Bring me a picture I me a veil Take me a photograph I'll avenge you there today For when tomorrow comes Today's just yesterday Yesterday